first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and we have a lot to get to. It's been kind of a busy couple days for me um, for a bunch of reasons, including that my phone stopped working, which is cool. So I spent all morning when I was supposed to be like working ahead, getting all my content planned for the week. I was trying to fix my phone, and then I had to go to record the draft podcast with Dre, and then... Uh, Back to the Apple store so I could try to fix my phone. Turns out, though, I'm going to get a cool new phone. And I get to test out the new camera before the game against USC on Friday. And I'm going to mess around and take a bunch of awesome pictures and videos. And I'm going to nerd out about that. So I'm going to blow a bunch of money, which is stupid. But hopefully we can all enjoy what comes of me blowing all that money. Point is, it's been hectic. And I finally got back here. Um... And there is a lot to talk about. Primarily, Mel Tucker's 30-minute press conference on Tuesday. Oh, boy. There's a lot to get to there. And that is what we are doing for, I think, honestly, most of the show. Because there was a lot to unpack. And before we do that, I do want to tell you just a little bit more about Drift Car Sharing. It's awesome. Uh, I just drove my roommate to the airport through a snowstorm. Uh, turns out those happen in October, so that's pretty disappointing. And we were both miserable. And he said he'd buy me dinner when he gets back, so that's a pretty good deal. But it would have been an even better deal if he had just dropped his car off at the drift car, drift drive, drift car sharing lot. I think it's just called drift. It doesn't matter. And uh, saved us both the hassle because then he would have made money, and we could have used that money for dinner, especially because he's gonna be gone for like five days which is a long time he also gets to catch that packers chiefs game in kansas city which is pretty cool don't need to get down that because this is a long enough tangent um so yeah that would have been cool because he could have instead of spending money on me he could have made money by parking his car if you want more info go to drivedrift.com basically they rent your car out while you're at the airport and it's a good deal or not while you're at the airport while you're when you go to the airport to fly somewhere else that's it's not just when you're hanging out at the airport. Okay, uh, back into Mel Tucker, though, because there's a lot to unpack. Um, let's touch on some other stuff that happened. Uh, we also heard from Mustafa Johnson. Always good to hear from him. Not too much notable coming out there. Uh, heard from Alex Fontenot, same thing. Um, I, th- I think some of them might be included in a story that's going to be coming out tomorrow. Depends on how things go, uh, if that's the story I go with. Not too many, like, you know, exciting things. Uh, But 
Brady Russell also took the podium, which was fun because he ranked his favorite plays. Somebody asked, like, what what do you like what's what's the fun part of the game for you as a tight end? And Brady said, number one, catching a pass. There's nothing better than catching a pass. Um, number two is blocking. But the line he used, and shout out to Chase Howell for mentioning that this should be in there. Instead of just blocking, he said, getting my face in there. Um, so, yeah, use that whenever you want. Maybe we need a T-shirt. Brady Russell getting his face in there. Uh, number three, running around and not catching a pass. Who knows if that's interesting at all. I tweeted it, so it's on this timeline of tweets that we're running back through with all these quotes. Um, one other thing worth noting from Brady Russell's media availability, he did say we do a nameless, faceless opponent thing. We watch film on them, we watch them, but it doesn't matter whether it's USC or CSU, we're just out there trying to get a win. Um, and, so, and so that comes from the, the talk around, I mean, USC coming to town Friday. Uh, big... Big underdog buffs. I I did I couldn't find a way to solve that sentence. The buffs are big underdogs because USC is just so good. You know they they're four deep at every position. Uh, even when they're missing their quarterback, their backup quarterback, and we'll dig into them tomorrow on Thursday and really break things down. And then we have something awesome for you planned on Friday. I'm excited to tell you about that. Uh, actually, not tell you about that. It's gonna be a surprise. But you're going to be excited to hear that Friday morning when you're looking for a game day pod. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hype around USC. Uh, it's kind of tough to beat them. If you hadn't heard, they're a good football team. Uh, CU has never done it in 13 tries. I believe in the past, uh, six of them in Boulder, uh, buffs don't worry about who it is they're playing. They worry about how they play. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I hadn't heard that before. I hadn't heard the nameless, faceless thing, but that doesn't seem like something you come up with off the top of your head. Okay, um, got those notes out of the way before we get into the good stuff, and that is Mel Tucker, as always, with some incredible things to say. Um, maybe hyping this up a little bit. First, some facts. First, uh, Mel Tucker said that on Monday, that was the highest energy output for the entire team of any practice so far this season. Uh, we talked before the season quite a bit. I, I think I even wrote a story about these GPS monitors they wear, tracks how fast you are, but they also have something that measures your heart rate, and that'll tell you how much energy each player is putting out. Collectively, including like fall camp going all the way back, uh, Monday's practice was the most they'd, they'd use that. And it makes sense because you'll remember that on Sunday they just watched film of the game. Uh, they didn't they didn't actually get on the field for the typical walkthrough for that first practice of the week. And so they made up for it on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, they had a bit of a slower day just because they did work them so hard. Uh, according to Mel Tucker, also Tuesday's practice, uh, Mel Tucker hired officials to referee the practice, brought them in. I think we saw four, maybe five of them walking out in all their gear. Um, said that the problem is that there's penalties bringing in refs, which is something that I haven't seen all season. I think they had some refs in there during camp, but thinking back to the beginning of the actual football season, I can't remember seeing refs walk out of that gate and I could be missing something. And also we're only up there for like three of the five weekly practices. So we also could have missed something. Although you would think that the Tuesday, Wednesday practices, bloody Tuesday, bloody Wednesday are the days that they would use refs. 
Um, and it was this week on Tuesday, which was actually a Wednesday practice because of the Friday game against USC. So could be the first time this season that that happened. Um, Mel also talked about how the environment this year at uh, Folsom has been what it was back when he played there, uh, which is you know good to hear. He said that it's important to keep that going. It helps with recruiting, getting those guys down on the sidelines, seeing what the fans are like. Um, I don't think he he like downright said, fans, come to the game. We need you to come to the game. But I, that was kind of the message behind his words was, you know what? We lost a couple big big games, but it, we need to keep this going, and we need to keep people out there. Uh, little discussion in my tweet from that, though, uh, from Silver Buff and also Roll Tad Season. Love that. I think some other people chimed in, but uh, – Basically, the take was if they win, people will show up. And that's kind of this weird thing that we talked about a little bit on the draft podcast, Andre and I. But in the NFL, in pro sports in general, sometimes it's better to lose. Sometimes it's better just to move up in the draft. It's really hard to sustain being a good football team in the NFL because you go win the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, all of your players look like there I mean you probably have very good players to start with but also they look a little bit better because they're Super Bowl champions and that means they're going to get offered more money when they become free agents and your draft picks are all worse all these different things to make it tough to continue winning college football is different college football you have to win to start winning you have to win enough to convince recruits to come and that's why it's this building process and that's why it's so nice that at this point in the season nobody's saying hey it's a tough stretch to finish might as well tank because that would just be a dumb thing to do. Um, there is the talk about like how much time do you get the younger guys. Looks like Mel is trying to get the younger guys in, maybe focusing on the future just a little bit more than now, which he wouldn't admit. And you know that take might be off, but that's what I see. Um, get Mark Perry out there. It's also true they don't have much depth. Somebody tweeted the stat. It was probably Brian Howell. Uh, he tweets a lot of these stats. But this is the most freshmen that have seen the seen the field in a season in a long time. And I'll figure out those numbers for the future. But, you know, that's what's going on. Uh, we can move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, he also said that the Buffs missed four or five sack opportunities where they had guys with free runs at the quarterback against Washington State. Um, there are only 14 sacks against the Cougars the last two years pointed out that those are details they have to clean up. Those are little things, that little plays that they need to make that would really change the narrative of that game. And they didn't do it, and they lost 41-10 off the top of my head. Those big numbers get hard to keep track of. When you only score a few points, it's either like 3 or 7 or 10 or 13 or 14 or 17. or I guess sometimes you have like a 16 in there or 20. But the more you get up there, the more like combinations of field goals and touchdowns you can get. And so you could be like 41 43, 42, 44, like these are all reasonable scores. Uh, so I guess I'd appreciate if the Buffs would stop giving up that many points because it'd make it easier for me to remember what happened. Uh, moving on, Mel Tucker also said, and this one's going to be controversial. It's going to be really controversial, and it was already controversial on Twitter. Um, he said that the way Jay Johnson plays or calls the game, um, he really appreciates the balance that comes with that between the running game and the passing game. He likes how he's called the protections. And here's the here's the quote. I really like the way Jay calls games. Uh, obviously, there's a lot that goes into being a good play caller. Uh, 
but from what we've seen, you know, maybe a couple couple mistakes, uh, things that we've talked about a lot that I personally didn't like. Sometimes I say we talk about things when it's me. I just want to feel like I'm not sitting here talking to myself. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the second and 10 where they give the ball to LaVisca, he picks up three yards just like you'd expect him to, which means it's third and seven just like you should have expected. And LaVisca needs to come out for a play just like you should have expected. It all just broke the exact way that it should have broken. And it makes you wonder why they didn't plan for LaVisca to be on the field on third down, you know, especially when you have a running game that's performing well. And the red zone, why aren't they running the ball more? There are plenty of questions that you can have uh, about the play calling. Um, of course, hindsight changes things. If if LaVisca takes the hand for a touchdown, all of a sudden we're saying, what a great call. Put LaVisca in the wildcat. Let him go do something. So there is a lot more to it than that. Maybe you get you get one more block somewhere. You get whatever. The narrative shifts. Um, Mel has Jay's back, which isn't a surprise. You wouldn't expect Mel to throw him on the bus. Un- I said under the bus. kind of sound like on the bus. Um... Yeah, you know, if we'll see if that shifts at any point. You know, Mel has been willing to criticize guys like Steven, say we need him to play better. We have faith in him, but we need him to play better. Uh, haven't heard him criticize the coaches in that way, and that could be because he genuinely believes the coaches are doing a good job. could be because the jo- coaches are doing a good job, but we just can't see it because there's so many mistakes on the field. Um, definitely a couple calls I have beef with, but... Nobody's perfect. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's largely been good. At least Mel seems to think so or he says so. Down the road, we'll see if he is more willing to criticize his guys um, because that is something that he does have working for him at this point. He doesn't have to win this year or next year, probably even the year after that. You know, He has time to get his guys in, all this kind of stuff. There will be enough excuses, honestly, to, to keep him around no matter what happens over at least the next few years. Guys that he brings in, though, this coaching staff that he brings in, he's accountable for them. Those were all his decisions. And that may be, may be why he is less willing to criticize them. Uh, at least something to keep in mind going forward. Uh, the criticism for his guys versus guys who weren't his choices, guys that were here before he got here. Um, I don't know. Loving these tangents, though. Really loving these tangents. Um, Mel Tucker also was asked about uh, what Steven Montez's confidence looks like? The answer looks good to me. So, so there you go. Uh, also told the story which I mistweeted and people thought was entertaining. Uh, Mel told the story during. Uh, not he didn't tell the story during. He told the story of Steven Montez throwing a deep ball that day. That was a pretty good ball. A little bit off. A little bit low. According to Mel Tucker, should have been caught. Um, not that bad of a pass, but Montez went up to the receiver and said, that needs to be a better ball. That's my bad. That's not on you. And Tucker said that that says a lot about him. Good little story. I don't know. Good, good to hear. Good to know. I mean, all these insights into practice are what I really enjoy. Hearing what's going on behind the gate. Hearing how people interact. Where the mindsets are. You know, it is good to hear that. It is good that that's how Montez played that. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, Mel also told the story of when he was at Ohio State as an assistant coach. Uh, Drim Tressel was the coach at that point, 
And he made his players sing the fight song to the fans, no matter what happened, whether they won or lost. And obviously Tucker was on the sideline. He said that it was kind of an impactful thing, thing for him. There was one loss in particular at home to Illinois, uh, a game that they shouldn't have lost. When he said that, kind of remind me of the Wisconsin-Illinois game this weekend. Like Wisconsin had no business actually losing that game. Uh, I'm at, I'm at Blake Street Tavern, by the way. Uh, I was going to talk about this later, but yeah, I'm at Blake Street Tavern, watch the Nuggets game, record a podcast here. Uh, because it's a great place to do that, and also I'm really hungry and haven't had time to eat all day. But outside the window, some guy just walked by following his uh, girlfriend probably, and she was like walking slow, had like a beanie on, so like a white one with a little pom-pom on top. She had hands in her pockets walking through the snow, and uh, he was following behind her taking pictures. (sighs) See, that's one of those things that makes me think, like, why do I even think about having a girlfriend if that's the type of stuff i don't know i don't think i could handle that i don't think that i could just quietly walk behind a girl and take pictures of her without just being like really really this is what we're doing right now okay well i'm learning a little bit about myself like i said i'm really tired haven't had caffeine in hours trying to fake it um but yeah back to the (laughs) the story they lose to illinois and they have to do the fight song. And again, Mel said, that's that's just like losing to Oregon. That's just like all these things. You get really hyped up. They're really big wins if you can get them. They're bad losses if you don't. Everything is so, the highs are high, the lows are low. And that's that's just part of the game. That's just part of the game. And he said, that's big time college football. When it's good, it's really, really good. When it's bad, it's bad. And that's the case. And right now they're in that bad streak. They could flip that so quickly. Not that I think that they will beat USC, but if for some reason they come out, get it, get a quick turnover, go up 14 nothing quick because that offense is hot, then you know they're in that game. They could win that game. And if they do, the the narrative from, from me at least, and I'd assume most of the fans, most of Twitter, would flip pretty quickly because that's a huge huge win all of a sudden you're saying beat stanford beat ucla you're in bowl contention that's how college football works the highs and the lows and right now is just a very low low um also heard a little bit more from the team this time about uh the transfers uh, Darion Jones transferred right after I recorded the podcast last time, and so we didn't have a chance to talk about that. You know, really talented guy, didn't get many reps on the field for whatever reason, whether he was blocked, whether he wasn't playing well enough for the coaches to give those to him. Something was going on. Um, and Mel said that it was actually a very similar to Aaron. Mel said that both those guys wanted to redshirt this year, and Mel said that he couldn't guarantee them that they would, and so they transferred. Oh my goodness, a different couple. A different couple just did the exact same thing. I wonder if there's something going on out there that I'm not... No, I, I think that this is just what people do here, and I hate it. It's just awkward to watch, honestly. Um. Uh, okay, ruining my train of thought, watching these people do this stuff. Okay, Uh. point is... Those two guys transferred, according to Mel Tucker, for the same reasons, because they wanted to redshirt, and he couldn't guarantee them that they would. Um, Also noted that Jacob Callier uh, left the team last week, uh, left, 
we don't really know all the circumstances other than Mel said that uh, wasn't working out. And so they went their separate ways. Uh, working out was his line, by the way, or wasn't working out. So who knows what's going on there? But this is the kind of stuff, you know, as much as you hate to see these guys go, as much as you see Darion Jones and think, wow, that's a big man who's very athletic and talented. Um, same thing with Aaron Maddox, you know, starting safety, speedy guy, smart guy, somebody who you think could probably hold down that position for another year and a half. You do need scholarships, and those might not be – those. who knows who you want to stay and go. It's tough seeing Aaron leave in particular just because he was such a big part of this defense, but they're going to need scholarships because they've pretty much filled all of the slots. They'll be opened up by people leaving uh, this spring, and they're not done recruiting. They're still out there. We've talked about Ashad Clayton. They're going to be looking for grad transfers. I – particularly at quarterback, you have to think that they're going to start shopping at some point, trying to find a guy who can come in here and be the guy next year, transition to Brendan Lewis. Um, there you go. There you go. Uh, another note, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're not bad at all. Um, we can keep going is what that means. Mel also spoke about the importance of rushing touchdowns. This isn't something that I've heard before. Uh, maybe you guys have. Maybe this is something I've been missing. I'd be kind of surprised by that because this is the type of stuff that football nerds nerd out on. Like, what are the tells for winning games? Like, where do NFL teams invest? You know, do, do the teams that win Super Bowls, how much, what percentage of the cap they spending on the left tackle versus the running back versus the defense tackle? Like, all these things. I actually wrote a paper for that for my capstone econ class last year because that's what we nerd out about and so that's why it was so cool to me to hear you know we've heard a lot about how turnover differential changes games uh mel's brought it up repeatedly every college football coach everybody who knows anything about football talks about the importance of turnover differential mel was talking about again on monday i believe saying that in the games that they've won the turnover differential they've been right in it the games they haven't they've been blown out and that's kind of summing it up but he also mentioned rushing touchdowns as another signal of winning teams. And that's something that I haven't heard of before. And it wasn't a good situation for me to kind of press him on that and say, like, why is that? Uh, wh why are rushing touchdowns so huge? That's something I do want to dig into, though, because, again, he's a football coach. He's a football nerd. He knows how to win football games. And if he says rushing touchdowns do it, I trust him. If he says rushing touchdowns are more valuable than passing touchdowns or maybe not more valuable, they're all worth seven points, but they're more likely to equate to winning football games. Again, I trust him. Does Is that because your line is probably dominant? You're able to, you're able to do whatever, push him around near the goal line and get in, and so that means you're probably pushing him around in other places? Is it because, you know, a lot of rushing touchdowns come in the red zone? There aren't as many from outside the red zone, so that means that your red zone efficiency is high. Who knows why that is, but I definitely want to dig into it. Okay, and now we're kind of definitely going over time for the first segment. So I should tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. I had a vanilla porter this afternoon with Andre Simone while we were recording the draft podcast. Hopefully you guys are listening to those because those are a lot of fun. If you're a college football fan on top of being a University of Colorado fan, you should be tuned into those. Um, 
because we talk about what's going on all around the country. If you're a Bronco fan in particular, we try to take like a Broncos angle to every one of those podcasts. You know, it's it's what's happening with draft prospects, what's happening around the around the country, focusing on positions where the Broncos could have some interest in the draft or guys like you know, guys from Colorado or Colorado State, local guys could be making some noise. We focus on them as well. Um, it's a lot of fun. Today we actually did our first mock draft for the Broncos because of the Emmanuel Sanders trade. Uh, more picks means it's more fun to do a mock draft. And so we went all the way through all seven rounds. We had a blast. Talked through a bunch of different things, who was following, all this kind of stuff. We nerded out. And if you want to nerd out, come nerd out with us because we're, <laughs> we're good at it. Point is, though, uh, we were drinking some Breckenridge beers while we were recording it. I had a vanilla porter. It was awesome. I'm at Blake Street Tavern. As soon as this Nuggets game starts going, I'm going to uh, get myself another one. I'm not sure which one. The Autumn Ale here is really good. Um, so many good options. Can't go wrong with any of those beers. Definitely recommend them. Uh, official beer, BSN Denver. Oh, whoa. I haven't made that mistake in a while. Uh, of DNVR. So check them out. Use the beer locator. Find them. Okay. Also, would like to tell you about uh, Vita Mobile IV. I'm not sure if you guys saw the video of Ryan Konigsberg using Vita Mobile IV after the Broncos draft party and uh, the preseason watch. Oh, no. Broncos preseason watch party and the Broncos fantasy league draft party. Um, that we had here at Blake Street Tavern. He was in rough shape the next day. He called up Vita Mobile IV, used the code HYD20 to save 20%, and got hydrated, got past the hangover, and worked perfectly for him. It's awesome. Get you back on your feet fast. They come to you, dorm room, office, your home, anywhere where you could need to be hydrated but don't want to just pound water, call up Vita Mobile IV. Uh, you can go to VitaMobileIV.com to learn more and definitely use that code HYD20 to save 20%. All right, we're going to wrap up this Mel Tucker press conference talk. Love when he goes 30 minutes, though, because it means that we get to uh, talk for a long time. Oh, I think this might actually be the last note from that press conference, but Mel said, or I mean, he said it before, but he dropped an I, it takes what it takes. And that's something we haven't heard from him much recently, but it was kind of the theme of the theme of fall camp was that he just kept saying, it takes what it takes. We need everybody to be bought in, uh, know their job, do their job, that's it. Um, hadn't heard it as much recently, but I really do think that the more they use that phrase, the more football games they will win. Um, maybe I should start counting. Okay. I think that that is it for the press conference. There are a couple more things that I want to touch on. Um, before we get to questions, I think we might have a couple. And I want to start with the injuries for USC. Um, it's about time to start talking about them. We're going to do a bunch of talk about USC on Thursday, tomorrow, and also on Friday. Friday's show is going to be awesome. I, I hope you guys are excited because you should be. Um but before we get into the offense and the defense and all that kind of stuff, the story of this season is the injuries. And, and it's kind of like what's happened to Colorado, except that they've lost their quarterback, they've lost their backup quarterback for stretches. They've had to go so deep everywhere that they're lucky that they're USC and they recruit 
as well or better than any other team in the Pac-12. You know, they 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 actually had six more injuries this week against Arizona, I believe. Um, started a few freshmen in the secondary. Uh, I mean, the list is just just doesn't end. You know, their their fourth string running back, uh, their fourth string running back was their number one guy this week. And it didn't really matter. He put up 100 rushing yards. He put up four touchdowns. I mean, he, he did everything you'd want your starting running back to do. That's just how they are all, all over. And that really should level the playing field for Colorado. You know, these injuries to the secondary where they're forced to start freshmen, you know, that, that should be it for opponents. You know, when, you, when you're playing LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon and Tony Brown and a senior quarterback who, sure, he hasn't looked good the last couple weeks, but before that, he looked pretty great. He'd thrown 10 touchdowns. He'd throw two interceptions. Six interceptions, no touchdowns the last two weeks. Just totally tanks that those numbers. But that's frustrating. And, and it's really hurting his draft stock as well. I mean... It was easy for a team to fall in love with him before. Right or wrong, whether you think that he's going to pan out the next level or not, it was easy to see how a team would say he has all the tools. He seems like he has a good personality. He doesn't seem like he has a lot of red flags. We can bring him in, we can groom him, and we can turn him into what we need him to be. You know, he he had all of the measurables. He had the arm. You just need to teach him how to see the game a little bit better, spend some time in the film room. And of course he's been trying to do that for a couple of years. He isn't just blowing that off, but there's a difference when football is your full-time job. When all day you're at the team facilities, working out, watching film, working with coaches, that is all you're thinking about. You aren't thinking about school. You aren't thinking about a social life. You are just thinking about football all day. And for a guy like Steven Montez, for a long time, I thought that that's what he needed. He just needed to be locked in a room, forced to see football. Because it's not like, I mean, he wasn't close to being an NFL starter, but he wasn't all that far off from being on the right track. You know, it's just if he could get to a second read. And we've seen him do that at points. We saw him do that particularly early in the season. Saw that against Arizona State, that he would stand strong in the pocket. And again, it just goes back to those feet. It goes back to whether he's stepping up in the pocket or whether he's panicking, whether he's getting happy feet. As soon as he loses that rhythm in his feet, I mean, it's step, cross, step, cross, step, bounce forward, stand strong, find somebody, throw the ball. You know, that that's that whole rhythm. That's all he could be doing. But as soon as that gets chaotic, as soon as his feet start bouncing around in a way they're not supposed to, it just makes him feel like he isn't, in rhythm because he isn't, and that's when he leaves the pocket early. That's when he makes these weird decisions. Any time that he's just dropped back and he's looked downfield in front of him, searched the field, it's been just fine. It's been just fine, and he only did that a couple times against Washington State. I don't know that he did it once against Oregon. Before that, though, you saw it. You saw flashes, and there weren't a lot of flashes of the, the like big reading ability, like one read, two read, two read, three reads, and then doing that over and over again for the course of a, 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 a drive, a game, whatever. But there were stretches where he looked like he had it figured out. And th- those would have been enough for teams to say, hey, 
if we can figure that out, he has the out of the pocket playmaking ability. Um, I'm not sure if these numbers have changed because of the losses, but his fourth quarter passing numbers before the last two weeks were incredible. Top of the Pac-12, uh, much better than the first three quarters. You know, he has that gene to him where he's worked his way out of these back to the wall situations. Last couple of weeks, he just fell apart. He really just fell apart. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't much more to it than that other than you throw any quarterback out there. I mean, whether it's Lytle or Stenstrom, are things markedly different? Maybe, maybe not. And and that's not how this needs to be playing out for the Buffs and for him. He just looked like he totally lost everything he had going. Um, so we'll see if he can bring it back. Hopefully he can. Hopefully, I mean, this is a this is something that teams will be looking for. You know, they wanted to see him bounce back against Washington State, and he didn't. You know, you want to see from play to play that a player is able to brush off a mistake and move on, but also from game to game. And he didn't show that last week. He'll have another chance this week to turn things around. Against this depleted secondary, he'll have a chance. And he isn't the only one who needs to turn things around. Both of their two supposedly star receivers, you know, now Tony Brown has kind of outplayed both of them. He's quieted down the last couple of weeks. But LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, they haven't done what they need to do. There, There's plenty of blame to go around this entire offense. Uh, that's what happens when you put up 13 total points in the last two games. LaVisca needs to be changing the game. LaVisca needs to be making plays. And we saw it from him early. We saw them get him the ball. And we saw him, you know, turn a two-yard gain into a seven-yard gain uh, after the catch. That's what he does. He just needs to get a couple more downfield plays. Yeah, the one in the end zone that, you know, we've had this discussion. I'm not sure if we've had it on the podcast yet. But you can't really tell whether he slowed down for that ball, whether it was overthrown or whether it was perfectly thrown and he slowed down a little bit. I don't think he slowed down. I think it's just those long legs. Legs, legs, it doesn't matter. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that he needs to find a way to get somehow. Katie Nixon, pretty quiet. He had the big game against Nebraska. Outside of that, not much. I mean, he, he went with one or two total catches over a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe that was the Arizona stretch, Arizona, Oregon, something like that. But again, catch us against Oregon, and you can't have that. Got to see more out of those two. You know, LaVisca, his draft stock is falling, and it's it's painful to watch. It really is painful to see. He 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 should have been a top ten pick. He's still a top ten talent. He just doesn't have the production to warrant. I mean, he's he's fourth-round production at this point, fifth-round production, maybe even less than that. He just has all of the skills, all the tools, passes the eye test, all these things, and he has the production from the past, obviously, with last season to bank on. But it's it's holding him back. It's holding him back from being one of these top few receivers taken. Now it's looking like C.D. Lamb is in front of him. Jerry Judy's still in front of him. But T. Higgins, who knows? I mean, it, team to team, they'll have their different lists. But now LaVisca, he had the injury knock. Now he has the lack of production this year as a knock. That makes him a late first-round, borderline first-round prospect. 
and that's not where he should be. And luckily, he still has five weeks to turn all this around. And Steven Montez does too. Katie Nixon, another guy worth touching on in the same regard. He was a guy who borderline draft pick, maybe sneaks up seventh, sixth round, probably a day three guy no matter what. Without the production, it's going to be tough because he was a production-based draft pick. You know, he isn't the fastest guy. He doesn't have the best feet. He's pretty small. But you could see how it could all work out for him. <sighs> but but it needs to be based on production. You need a team to say, you know what? He doesn't look like your prototypical NFL receiver, but look what he did in college. I'm, let's give him a chance to do it here. See if it does translate. His biggest asset was the production. And again, he gets to bank on production from last year. We'll see what happens. It's probably, I mean, he would get a shot if he decides to leave early this year. Um, maybe not as a draft pick, but as an undrafted guy, we'll see if that's enticing to him. Or if he can turn things around, get a couple big games, get this passing offense back on track, and change things. It's tough. Nate Landman. Nate Landman doesn't look like an NFL linebacker. You know, I was never high on his coverage ability. There were the numbers that kind of backed it up, though. You could see how an NFL team would see, you know, the pro football focus number and say, you know what? Maybe he can be a three-down guy. Plus, we know he's a very, very good two-down guy. Great, great two-down player at the college level. Now the coverage questions are just growing. Just growing and growing. And and that's what happens when a team is three and four. The draft hype for the best players probably is falling. The only guy who I think has really improved his stock, I mean, maybe Tim Lanott on that offensive line. I think you could definitely make a case for him. Um, I actually would. I would say Tim Lanott is probably one of your two biggest risers in terms of draft stock, along with Tony Brown, who, again, came out of nowhere, has that NFL-type build, He's a guy who's easy to project to the next level. Just kind of makes sense. Uh, also, Mikhail Onu. He's made his fair share of mistakes, as has anybody on the back end of this defense. Maybe a little bit undersized to be a safety at the next level, but he's a playmaker. And playmakers get shots. And so I'd be confident saying he's made a shot, and he definitely has improved his stock this year by, I mean, through his play. Uh yeah, I think that that's going to do it. This was a weird transition to where I wanted to go with the draft stock of players. Um, let me know what you guys think. Is there anybody else you really think has a better shot now they did at the beginning of the season? We didn't touch on Mustafa, the other real draft prospect for Colorado at this point. Um, injuries, a little bit of a lack of production early in the season before the injuries. He's got time. He's got a lot of time to turn things around, though. All right, uh, I want to tell you all now about uh, the Denver Rubber Company. You all know how much we love supporting local businesses here at the DMVR. That's why I'm at Blake Street Tavern. That's why we partner with all the other businesses that we do. And uh, that's why we're excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. It is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects, uh, since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. DRC offers innovative solutions to serve a diverse line of industries, including aerospace, 
pharmaceuticals, construction, medicine, military, electronics, just anything you can think of. An ISO certified company. It'll work with you from design to final product. It's cost effective and it will meet your requirements. If you're in need of custom design, material selection for your project, or if you have a deadline to make for a large order, do not hesitate to call Denver Rubber Company. Uh, Call them at 1-800-259-0010 or you can visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. All right. Uh, Time to go to the comments now. And I think we only have one for today. And my phone is still really bad. I have to replace it tomorrow. Trying to get to open. It's not opening. I'm going to have to cut this. Oh, there it goes. There it goes. Okay. So it comes in from Silverbuff. Hoops missing the top 25 is fair. They've only played a solid third of a season and two good NIT games. Let's not forget how the season ended against Texas. Win games in a solid non-conference schedule, and Buffs will open pack play with Oregon in a top 20 matchup in the keg. Love it. Uh, I think that that's a good take. You know, I would have put them in the top 25. Sure, they only played like the solid third of the season, like you said. But at the same time, they looked really good, and they're bringing everybody back. There just aren't as many questions with this team as there are with others. I think the only question has to be, was that real? You know, and I think that's what you're touching on. They only did it for a third of a season. But it's just whether a basketball team at the University of Colorado is capable of, you know, being being an elite basketball team, being a team that can win the Pac-12. Because teams that win the Pac-12 should be competing for a national title. We should be talking, you know, Sweet 16 run, Elite 8 run. That's what top of the Pac-12, you know, maybe it didn't mean that last year, but historically has meant and should mean again this year as it kind of does return from the dark years. Uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe they should. You know, I think they should, especially when you look at the three teams ahead of them, uh, Washington, Oregon, Arizona. They were picked second in the Pac-12. If those teams are up in the in the top 25, then Colorado probably should be too. Is it a good thing? Sure. You could definitely make the case that it's good for this team to not have that sort of pressure placed on them, um, to not be a preseason top 25, to keep that out of their heads, make sure they know that they have to earn everything. And we talked about that stuff a little bit. I do think there's value. I do think they should have been ranked. Um... Good point, though. You you win early. You beat Arizona State on the road. All of a sudden, you're in the top 25. You play well in the non-conference schedule, which is a really tough schedule. I mean, we've talked about how they open at Arizona State. I'm not sure if that counts as a conference game now that I think of it. I'll figure that out. I just realized I hadn't thought about that before. But the rest of this non-conference schedule is... It's... It's... It's so tough. And they just added Iona, too, to finalize it a couple weeks ago. Another tournament team. Okay, here we go. Play San Diego. They play UC Irvine. Two, I think both tournament teams last year, I know UC Irvine was, play Wyoming, a tough place to play. Um, Sacramento State, okay. Loyal Marymount at Kansas. Northern Iowa, another tournament team. Colorado State, Prairie View, Dayton, 
And then Iona. Iona tournament team, Dayton tournament team. And that's before you get into Oregon. So they're going to have a chance to prove themselves. Obviously, the, the game to circle is that Kansas game. If they win that, that just opens everything up. That 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 gives them a new ceiling uh, in in the national media's opinion. And that's huge. You know, I, do, I don't know that if they lose that game, they're looked at the same way. Not because they should be winning it. Kansas is obviously a very good team. But if they can pull it out, if they can win that game, all of a sudden, that just changes the hype. It just changes the hype. You, you can say, yeah, they beat Kansas. Why can't they beat anybody else? And that upside plays into being ranked. Plays into how you look when it comes time to decide who makes this tournament and where you're seated in this tournament. Um, good stuff there from Silver Buff. I think we're going to cut it off here. Coming up five minutes away from the... Uh, tournament or not the tournament sorry i just got a message i was reading uh from from the nuggets game uh, if you have any thoughts drop them here uh drop them here in the post for today's show at uh the dnvr.com i will read them tomorrow thursday on the show and respond if they're good um yep and then we have something cool coming friday i'm excited about that uh Oh, I haven't plugged this yet. We're doing this thing at DNVR where we all try to uh, get as many new members as we can to the website. Uh, the winner gets a uh, a year of Breckenridge beers. And the idea is for us to get as creative as possible, try to use all of our new tools that we have at the DNVR, the cameras, graphics stuff, and have fun with it. So we have some cool things planned. I don't want to spoil it, but... There's an alliance forming. Point is, if you haven't signed up yet, sign up using the code Hank. You get a free shirt when you subscribe for a year or longer. Um, there you go. H-A-N-K. Use the code. Uh, I'm losing, by the way. Definitely losing. I think that's it. I will be back tomorrow to talk more buffs. Uh, see ya. I think they like my Colorado sway. when I'm in it play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, yeah. It's pushing 180. Speed and bad see you later, baby. Colorado on. With soldiers like the Navy yeah. And voters where we stationed Patiently awaiting When I hit the field It's so hard to behave yeah. I'm Colorado swagging As the crowd do the wave Look into my eyes I can tell that you afraid uh -huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya Hit ya, hit ya, hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope You make it to the next whistle <laughs> And we ain't playing with ya You can get it anytime yeah. It started at the scrimmage We gon' win it at the in the middle of the ring, throwing blows, knocking down team after team. They like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like.
they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. Have you ever seen a ram? Nothing bold in Colorado. Buffalo is what I am. All the teams come and follow. When I start, hit the field. The opposing crowd swallow. Cause they know I'm about to kill. He gon' feel that tomorrow. Whole team full of warriors. Got me feeling tribal. Big 12, here we come. We ain't worried about a rival. If you want it, come and get it. We will wait for your arrival. When you hit this frozen field, man, it's all about survival. Why you make it, why you make it? Yeah, you better bring your Bible. Quick back, blind side, flat line, no revival. Get them bucks, get them bucks, mess them up. We say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in that play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in that go, you know I'm acting bad.